And Father, we pray over the rest of this worship service. Uh, we thank you for opportunities to come to you in songs of praise. Uh, we give you thanks for opportunities to come to you in prayer. But we also give you thanks for opportunities to come to your word and to hear you speak to us. And so we pray that as we turn to your word now, you would speak clearly and powerfully to each one of us. And that if there's any distractions in our hearts and souls and minds, that you would remove them. So we can be focused on you and hear what you have to say. And may your word penetrate deeply into our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would open our ears to hear our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, throughout this Advent season, we have, we'll have two Scripture passages for, for each sermon. And so we have a lot of Scripture reading this morning, but that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And so I'll explain uh, what we're doing um, after the Bible reading, but our first passage comes from Luke 2, and our second passage comes from 2 Peter 3. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present Him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel." The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel and the, of the tribe of Asher, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at the very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And then Second Peter 3, 1-13. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? 
Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word that by the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. The word of God. Well, this Advent season, we're going to be spending our our series looking at the connections between Christmas and the end times. And uh, there's been a lot of talk about the end times lately, hasn't there been? Ever? For the last number of months, we, you know, in, the, in 2020, we've seen a plague. We've seen lots of natural disasters. We've seen rioting and division. We've seen even murder hornets. I mean, who would have thought, right? That sounds like end of the world kind of stuff. And so for many people, as they look out around the world, at least many people in our country, they look around the world and they think this is the most turmoil they've ever seen in their life. And so a lot of people start to ask, is this the end? Are we, is the end drawing near? And I've had a lot of people ask me that over the last six, seven months. Is the end coming? And so I thought... We should talk about that because a lot of people are talking about that. And to be honest, it's a perfect fit with Advent, even though we don't typically think that way, um, because the word Advent means coming. And throughout history, the church has celebrated Advent by celebrating or looking forward to the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, because those two events are very closely connected. And so it's actually a perfect opportunity. We're going to focus on the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. And since Advent is this season of of waiting and looking for the coming of Christ, it's also a season of waiting. That's one of the big themes of what's our attitude and our heart supposed to be during Advent. It's supposed to be a season of waiting, learning how to wait. And uh, so I usually spend a lot of time during Advent reading devotionals, reading Scripture on waiting just to get my heart and mind there. And and this last week as I was doing that, I, I realized that usually waiting requires two things to be happening kind of at the same time, kind of pulling on one another. We need to have struggle and we need to have hope for waiting to happen. Usually that's the case. It, waiting requires recognizing that 
right now things are not the way they're supposed to be, but one day things will be the way they're supposed to be. And so since things now are not the way they're supposed to be, there's struggle and difficulty, but yet there's hope knowing that coming in the future something better is coming. Something will come where, where all things will be the way that they're supposed to be. And, and in general, we don't like struggle, <laughs> and we, which is a lot of times why we don't like waiting, right? We, we don't like being in struggle, and we, and we don't like to wait, um, which I think is why people love Google so much, right? Because if you, you want an answer to a question, there's no struggle and there's no waiting, right? You just pull out your phone, you type it in, boom, answer here. No struggle, no wait, everything is good. And we've kind of worked really hard to design all of our lives around those principles, right? We've, we've worked really hard to make sure we don't have to struggle and we don't have to wait for anything. And uh, one of the things that jumped out at me this year was just walking into stores. Um, when did Christmas decorations start getting put out this year? Before Halloween, way earlier than normal, right? Way, way earlier than normal. And, uh, and a lot of people have noticed that, and so I've been talking with people about that, and I've been asking them, why do you think that is? Why do you think they started putting Christmas decorations out before Halloween this year? And kind of the general response I've gotten from people is, everyone is just sick and tired of 2020, <laughs> And, and we can't wait for Christmas to come, and we can't wait for 2021 to come, and so the stores are throwing Christmas decorations out, and we're just ready for this thing to be done. Um, but not to be the bearer of bad news, um, but it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't matter how early you decorate your house for Christmas, it will still be the exact same number of days <laughs> until Christmas comes. Um, and it'll be the exact same number of days until 2021 comes. And so whether we like it or not, we have to wait. We have to struggle a little bit. And yet, we also know that the more we wait, the more we get tired of waiting. Right? We know that patience, it's, it's an interesting thought, that patience wears thin. And you think, why is that? And I'll just leave that for you to ponder. But, but the longer we wait, patience runs out. We get tired of waiting. And we just kind of, we wait and we wait and we wait and we wait. And then we just throw our hands up and say, I'm done. Tired of waiting. I quit. Um, and a lot of people are feeling that right now, aren't they? As, as this plague, it just keeps going and going and going. And people are saying, I'm tired, tired of waiting. And yet, that's exactly how people were feeling when Jesus was born into the world. Um, I mean, it's pretty incredible that when Jesus was born, He is the Savior of the world. And when He was born into the world, very few people actually recognized Him as that. And very few people were actually waiting. Most had just given up waiting. I mean, that's why, that's why Simon is such an anomaly enough that Luke has to talk about him, right? He says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. 
I mean, the only reason that Luke has to put that in there is that the vast majority of people were not actually waiting. They had given up. They were done. And then there's, then there's Anna, right? So there's a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old. And she never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And then coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So we have Simeon, we have Anna, and then a few more, right? So Anna goes and tells those who are looking forward to the redemption of Israel. But the, the picture is that there's just a handful of people left who are waiting for Jesus when he was born. And as we can think about that and say, man, that's ridiculous. And then you can think, can you blame them? Um, it had been 400 years since a prophet had spoken the Word of God to them. I mean, think about, think about, I usually try to help people get 400 years in our brain because we don't think about that much because we live in a country that's only 250 years old. Not even 250 years old. This is like twice the age of our whole country. No prophet had spoke the Word of God. 400 years ago was when the, the pilgrims were first landing on the shores of our continent. And to, and to even take this in another direction... Um, John Calvin, you guys all know I like John Calvin, he died about 450 years ago, okay? So a little longer than 400 years ago. But now, but now picture if in the world, John Calvin was the last pastor to ever preach the Word of God. I mean, think about that. If John Calvin was the last pastor in the entire world to ever preach the Word of God, um, would you still be waiting? <laughs> And would you still be hopeful? Or would you have maybe just given up and said, I don't, I don't think this is what's actually happening anymore. Turned your hope elsewhere. And similar things are happening today as people look forward to the second coming, which is, it was even happening in Peter's day. I mean, Peter's writing this like 30 years after Jesus died and rose again. And he says, okay, church, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers, mockers, will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They're going to say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Right? This was not, it's not only going on now, but it was going on as, we, as people waited for Jesus' birth. Right? People were saying, where is this coming Messiah? that God promised. We've been waiting for thousands of years for this guy to come. He's not here. I mean, our ancestors died and everything just kind of keeps going on. It's the same yesterday, same today, same tomorrow. You're ridiculous for waiting for this Messiah. And don't, I mean, you ever hear people say that now? Really? You think Jesus is going to come again? It's been 2,000 years and he hasn't come back. You really believe that? They mock you, want you to make you feel like a fool. And so, there's this temptation in us, too, to get sick of waiting, to get frustrated, and then people start mocking us, and we maybe begin to feel a little foolish, and so we can begin to back off of this. And the question is, how do we hold on? How do we keep waiting when it's really difficult to wait? 
And I think as we look at Simeon and Anna, we, we get a good picture of that, right? So there's a man called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation or the salvation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And then, when he sees Jesus, he holds him up and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss your servant in peace. But what, what, what helped him hold on and keep waiting? The promise of God. God promised him, he's coming. It's going to happen. Nobody can do anything about it. It's coming. I told you my Messiah is coming. I promised it. He will come. And Simeon said, that's enough for me. I'm holding on to that. It may take longer than I want. I'm holding on to your promise. People may mock me for it. I'm holding on to your promise. And I'm going to wait. And he didn't wait in despair, but he waited in hope that the Messiah was coming. And then and Luke talks about Anna, and he shows a little bit of what this waiting looks like. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, there's probably, most likely, most scholars think there's some hyperbole here, right? She probably left the temple occasionally. But for the most part, her life was characterized by she was in the temple all the time, watching and waiting and fasting and praying and worshiping God, always on the lookout for the Messiah who was to come. And most likely, Simeon was the same because it says he was righteous and devout. And so he was devout and worshiping and fasting and praying. And so, so they didn't just wait, like they didn't just go back to their home, sit down and say, all right, Lord, bring it. They went out. They kept their eyes on the Lord. They kept seeking Him, seeking Him, praying, waiting, and watching for the Messiah to come. You know, they could look around at the world around them and see that this was not how things were supposed to be. And there was struggle and trial there. But they knew that God had promised that someone was coming and He was going to make things right. And so they heard that word, they believed that word, they hoped in that word, and then they waited. And then when Simeon sees Jesus, he breaks, I, I, I mean, this stirs my heart every time I read, he breaks out in this song and prayer and praise. It's all kind of mixed together. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, we read that, our hearts stirred, and yet we read that looking back, knowing the end of the story. But, but put, your, put yourself in Simeon's shoes for a bit. Simeon had been waiting for this moment his entire life. And the Lord promised him, you're going to see it. So he'd been waiting for it. He'd been longing for it. He'd been seeking for it. He'd been praying for it. And then it comes, and it's a baby. All right? I mean, don't you think the temptation for Simeon would have been, what? This is what, this is what I've been waiting my whole, this little bag of snot. No. <laughs> I don't... I'm talking, it kind of sounds heretical to say that about Jesus, but, but children in general, right? I mean, come on, this is, 
this is what I was waiting for? There would be that temptation, and yet, that's not what he said. He looked in the face of Jesus, and he said, my eyes have seen your salvation in this child. And the reality is, on the one hand, you could say, you haven't seen God's salvation. Jesus hasn't lived. He hasn't died. He hasn't rose again. What are you talking about? You haven't seen it. But what he saw and what Anna saw were the seeds of God's salvation. Just a little bit. Little sprouts breaking through the dry ground of their land. And they saw it and they knew it and they rejoiced and said, God's working. He's bringing salvation. I know nobody else thinks it, but I can see it coming. I can see it breaking through the ground. And so they rejoiced in hope. And it's not much different for us. Peter says, in keeping with his promise, with God's promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. That's the promise we have to hold on to. God promised, I'm going to give you a new heavens, I'm going to give you a new earth, and righteousness is going to dwell there. Everything will be made right. That's the promise that we have to hold on to. And the question that that gets pressed upon us in moments like this is, do you believe it? Do you live in hope of that promise that there will be a new heavens, there will be a new earth, and righteousness will dwell there? And more than that, do you believe it, but does that change the way you live now in the midst of chaos and, and frustration? I, I was reading Calvin this week, and uh, one of his quotes just uh, jumped off the page at me, and um, he's talking about what was happening in Simeon and Anna's day, but I think it's the exact same thing that's happening now in our day. He said, all had on their lips the name of the Messiah and of prosperity under the reign of David, but hardly anyone was to be found who patiently endured present afflictions relying on the consolatory assurance that the redemption of the church was at hand. He said, when, when Jesus was born, people were talking about the Messiah, they were talking about prosperity under David, but nobody was living that way. Nobody actually lived in hope. Nobody actually had the hope of that redemption carrying them through their present afflictions. They didn't live each day relying on that comforting assurance that Christ was redeeming the church. And it's the same with us today. We could talk about Jesus. We could celebrate the birth of the Messiah. But he presses on us, are we relying on that hope that not only Christ was born into the world, But he's bringing redemption now, and one day he will bring it in full. You know, what we're going through right now, all of the trials and the struggle and the turmoil that we're facing right now, these are all there to remind us that this is not the way things are supposed to be. That this is not heaven. We're not there yet. And, And it's a reminder that the United States is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is still coming. It's still breaking forward into the world. And so we have to wait. And and as we watch rioting break out across our country, it's there. It should stir a longing waiting in our soul 
for the day when Christ will come again and bring peace. When we, when we see all the divisions in our country over politics and whatever, it should stir a longing in our heart to long in hope for the day when Christ will come and bring true unity. As we watch this plague spread across our globe, it should stir a longing in our soul for the day when Christ will come again and establish a kingdom where there will be no death or sickness. It reminds us, now things are not the way they're supposed to be, but it's coming. And so we wait. But we wait in hope and not in despair. See, it's easy in the midst of this waiting, it's easy to get, to get frustrated and cynical and despairing because we're just watching the world fall apart all around us, right? People say, ah, oh, we're watching the world go to hell in a handbasket. And you just kind of get frustrated and despairing and you just, it's easy to do that. And it's also easy to just quit waiting. I'm done. I'm tired of waiting. I give up. I'm just going to settle. Things are good enough right now. I'm happy enough. Um, It's easy to do those things, but it's not Christian. Christians wait in hope. And, And we're not pessimistic about history because we know that our God's in control. He will bring about His plan and His purpose. He will bring about His kingdom. And He will fulfill His promise that He will bring in new heavens. He will bring a new earth. And there will be righteousness there. And, and there's kind of a... I, I felt rebuked this week as I read about Simeon and Anna because they waited in hope for the same reason that we can wait in hope, right? Jesus Christ. And yet... They, they held fast to that promise and they rejoiced when they saw those seeds of salvation in, in the child Jesus. And the reality is, we have way more than they did. I mean, we have the opportunity to see the life that Christ lived, to see the death that He died, and to see His resurrection from the dead. We saw everything that He did to bring about redemption. We, we have this opportunity to see that Christ overcame sin and death And Satan, he did it now, and he promised that one day he's going to throw all three of them in the lake of fire, and they'll be gone. And so they they saw these little seeds of salvation, and they rejoiced, and their heart was stirred to strengthened in hope. And we have much more than just seeds. We have what Jesus called this tree that grew out of a mustard seed. We could see the tree of God's salvation that's growing and filling the whole earth. And we could see that there's Christians in Liberia and Nigeria and China. It's expanding all over the place. We could see His salvation breaking into the world. How much more should that stir our hearts to, to rejoice and worship in the salvation of God? But also, how much more should that strengthen our hearts in hope? That salvation is coming now. We can see it coming now. We can, we can, even in the midst of frustration and division, we can look at our own life and see salvation coming. We can look at our families and our churches and our communities and we can see salvation coming. And that should cause us to rejoice in what God's doing in our own lives, but also should strengthen our hearts in hope, knowing that salvation is coming now, but one day it will be here in full. And it will be there for eternity. So now we wait, but we wait in hope. And so, yes, things are not the way they're supposed to be right now. 
But Jesus Christ was born into the world to save sinners and to bring redemption, as Joy to the World says, to bring redemption as far as the curse is found. It's coming. And we can see little bits and glimpses of it. We get tastes of it now. And so as we catch glimpses of that salvation and that redemption, rejoice and praise our God. But also allow it to strengthen your heart so that you can patiently endure the present sufferings. Relying on that comforting assurance that the salvation of the church and the salvation of the world is at hand right now. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your promises and for the hope that you have held out for us. We thank you that you're working in the world bringing redemption and salvation right now, even when it may be difficult for us to see. Father, open our eyes to see it. Help us to see your salvation coming into the world, your redemption coming into our lives and our families and communities. Stir our hearts to rejoice in that, but strengthen us in hope that you will come one day and make all things right. Strengthen us in hope so that we can wait, keeping our eyes on you, longing and waiting for the day when your new heavens and your new earth will come and righteousness will dwell there. And all God's people said, Amen.